Well, welcome to the city. This is uh, the second week in a series we started last week called Supreme. And it's one where we're teaching verse by verse through the book uh, of Colossians. This is kind of part of our, our emphasis on teaching through scripture verse by verse. You, if you remember a few weeks ago, we did uh, for several weeks uh, through the book of Daniel. We're gonna continue to do that through every book of the Bible. So this is the next one in our process. And uh, Colossians is, is a letter from, from Paul. It's one of Paul's shortest letters, but, but to me, it's one of the most, I don't know, it's just, it's exciting. It, it's my favorite book of the Bible, one of them anyway. Uh, and what Paul's doing here, he's writing to a young church, the Colossians. It's a, a new church in the, the town of Coloss or Colossi, however you want to say it. Um, and he's kind of encouraging them and kind of giving them a little peek at what it looks like to truly follow Jesus. Again, they're, they're brand new Christians. Paul had spent some time in Ephesus, a period of about three years. And during that time, there's a guy from Coloss named Epaphras who went to Ephesus and heard Paul preach the good news of the gospel. And Epaphras gave his life to Jesus. He goes back to his hometown and he shares that good news with everyone there and a new church rises up. And so during uh, this time uh, that he's writing this letter, Epaphras has come back to Paul and told him a couple of concerning things. Uh, there's, there's a little bit of an issue with the church. Uh, and so Paul's writing this letter to respond to this situation that's happening with the Colossians and to encourage the believers, again, to show them kind of a, a picture of what it looks like to be a Christian and also encourage them towards, towards growth in, in their walk with Jesus, to, to what, what it looks like to grow in your relationship with God. And I think, you know, we can pull a lot of the same lessons that Paul's trying to convey to them in our walks. You know, do we really have a true saving faith? And secondly, are we growing in that faith? Are we growing as Christians? And kind of the, the, the theme of the, the whole book of Colossians is this, Christ supreme is the theme. I think Clayton thought that up. I think it's kind of cute, right? It rhymes. Christ supreme is the theme. That's the theme of the book. Christ supreme. Christ, number one. Christ being supreme in our lives, like the number one thing in our lives is God's will for our lives. I mean, he's supposed to be first. Christ alone is worthy of our worship. He, he alone is worthy of our, our faith. Jesus is enough. Jesus is what saves us, what makes a way back to the Father, the way we have a relationship with God. We don't need anything else. Jesus plus nothing. That's Paul's kind of overarching theme to this church in Coloss. So today we're going to be uh, looking at a, a quite a bit of scripture, okay? So if you have your Bibles, we're in Colossians 1. Clayton got to do two verses last week. I get 11. So uh, it's a, it's a lot. <laughs> And so if you don't have a Bible, it's going to be on the screen. The best way, as always, is on the app in our message notes. All the verses are there. All the points are there. It's a good way to kind of follow along. So we're going to read this kind of chunk of scripture, and then I'm going to go back and unpack a couple different things, and we'll talk about how to apply it. So let's start in verse 3. He writes, So we always pray for you, and we give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You've had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. This same good news that came to you is going throughout all the world. It's bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. 
You learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved coworker. He is Christ's faithful servant and he is helping us on your behalf. He's told us of the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so that you will have all the endurance and patience, patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. So Paul, in this little section of his letter, if you notice, he starts out by encouraging them. Like there's a few things they're doing well. And so he's, he's kind of saying, way to go on those things. But then he, he prays for them. And, and the cool part about it is in this prayer for the Colossians, Paul is actually showing them what it looks like to mature in their faith. He's showing them what it looks like to, to grow, right? He's showing them what it looks like to be a true follower of Jesus. And this church, as we mentioned, they're, they're, they're new. They're, they're baby Christians. They're trying to figure it out. Like Clayton said last week, they're, they're on training wheels, but they, they've gotten off track. They started listening to some different teachers. They, they've, they're listening to the wrong people. They've been misled. And what it's done is it's created this kind of designer spirituality, this consumer-based spirituality, which I think you can see in a lot of our churches today. Instead of asking, what does God think? We like to ask, what, what's good for me? It's like, I would call it a salad bar kind of faith. Like, I'll take this and I'll take that. I don't really like that. I don't want to do that. I like, I'll take this from this religion. I'll take this from this political platform or I'll take this from pop culture. I'll take this because it just makes me feel good. But this and this and the other things, I'm, I'm going to forget about those things. It creates this kind of designer spirituality, which is counterfeit. It's a counterfeit Christianity. This is what's going on with the, the Colossians. They're they're basically turning into pretenders and they're pretending without even knowing they're pretending that they're not the real deal. Now, um, this next section has nothing to do with the sermon, uh, but we all like to pretend from time to time. I pretend, I like to pretend to be someone I'm not. Mark, who's the long haired guy that sings, he's sitting up here, he, he likes to pretend. In fact, it's a big part of our job over the years we've been together to pretend to be something we're not. So I thought we'd take a little walk down memory lane. Here, here's one of our pretend roles. It's, this is Batman and a beautiful bearded princess. Um, I'm assuming I'm supposed to be Belle, I don't know. The next one, this is uh, Scoochie and Bubba, uh, some characters we created. They're, they're really uh, fine citizens. The next one, we played husband and wife. As always, it's the most natural for me to play the, the female in their relationship. And then this is one no one's really ever seen before, but we pretended we were in the film, The Notebook, okay? So little do we know how horribly wrong it would go to let Mark actually play the woman. It was not, yeah, it was too hot for TV, right? All right, so, so back to Colossians. Um, the Colossians were falling into this pretending trap. 
And our, our churches are full of people, in my opinion, that are pretending without even knowing they're pretending. And what Paul is saying to the Colossians, what he's saying to you and me today is like, wake up, listen. Uh, warning, warning bells should be, be going off. You're doing some things wrong. Let me show you what it means to follow Jesus. Let me show you what it means to, to be a, the real deal. A true believer, a true follower in the true gospel. And so what he kind of sets up in the beginning here is he says there's going to be some, some evidence. If you truly belong to Jesus, you're truly a Christ follower, your life is going to produce evidence that that internal commitment is actually a real one. And so he gives us three to start off with. Faith, hope, and love. So we're going to talk about each one of these and then break them down just a little bit. The first one, obviously, being faith. Okay, so back to verse 4. He says, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Faith. Faith, uh, you know, if we're going to be a true follower, we're going to have a real, true, personal, internal faith in Jesus Christ. Your faith. Your decision, not your mama's faith, not your grandmama's faith, not something that someone did for you when you were a baby, some kind of dedication or whatever. It's the decision that you make to follow Jesus. It's a personal thing. And it even goes beyond just this decision. In fact, the, the Greek word for faith here uses pistis, which means to be persuaded that something is true. But here's the key and trust in it. It's not just an intellectual decision, right? It's, it's an active faith. You're, you're, you're saying you, you believe something, but then you're putting your faith in it. In fact, it goes even further than that. This word pistis actually has in, at its roots the word patho, which literally means to obey. Obedience and faith. It's not just an intellectual thing. Now, let me give you a really stupid example. Uh, my buddy Bert and I were in South Padre not too long ago. And we were sitting at this restaurant, this outside kind of restaurant, had kind of patio furniture, cheaper plastic chairs and stuff. And we're sitting down to eat and I noticed Bert's just standing there. He's not sitting down. I'm like, what are you doing, dude? And for those of you that don't know, Bert's a bigger guy, right? And he doesn't have a lot of faith in plastic chairs. And so he's standing there going like, I'm, there's no way I'm sitting in that chair. And I was like, what are you talking about? The chairs are made to hold people up, right? But he could have spent the whole rest of the day just saying, you know, I, I believe in this. I, I believe it'll hold me up. But until he actually sits in it, it's not faith in that chair, right? This is the kind of faith that we're, we're talking about. It's an active, obedient, put your trust in it kind of faith. Obedience, belief, they, they go hand in hand all throughout scripture. You, you look at the life of Jesus. He didn't go up to the disciples and just say, believe in me believe something. He said, he said, follow me. And, and this is huge. This is huge because there's so many people that I think have a false sense of security when it comes to their relationship with God and maybe comes to where they're going to spend eternity because they've understood faith in the wrong way. There's a dead non-saving faith that a lot of people fall into the trap of, of believing pretenders that don't even know that they're pretending. James, who's the, the brother of Jesus, he lays into this subject really, really hard. We're going to read some of his words. I mean, he goes after it. It might hurt your feelings. He says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? 
Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? You see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. I mean, it doesn't get any clearer than that. It's not enough. Just just saying you have faith, just believing in something isn't enough. He goes on to say this, oh, you believe? Well, good for you. Even the demons believe. He says, that's not enough. It's foolishness, actually. He he reminds us later that, that Abraham, he was shown righteous by his faith when he led his son up to that altar. It was, it was a, a trust in God beyond just, just words. And then in verse 26, he finishes with this, just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. Faith without works, it's dead. Now, the religious mind will hear this. Well, okay, so you're saying, If I don't do this, this, and this, and I'm doing too much of this, this, and this, then I'm not really saved. That's not what it's saying. What scripture is saying that if you are truly saved, there will be evidence in the things that you do. Faith and works, kind of two sides of the same coin. And I I hate to tell you this, and it hurts me to say it, it doesn't matter what I think doesn't matter what you think. What what scripture says is clear. Obedience is the hallmark of the true believer. Period. I like how W.E. Vine said it. He's a biblical scholar. He said, when a man obeys God, he gives the only possible evidence that in his heart he believes God. The only evidence of that internal commitment you're making to follow Jesus is the things that you do. The way that you live. So that's, that's faith, a personal, internal faith in Jesus Christ. The next one he mentions is love, love. Back to verse four. He said, we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people. Love, it's another hallmark of the Christian faith. Love, a true child of God will love people. Now, when we make a true life-changing commitment to follow Jesus, it should start to kind of purge our, our bent to be selfish, right? As humans, we're all selfish, but when we have the, the spirit of God in us, it starts to kind of purge us of that, that selfishness and gives us a new love, a new attraction to people. We have Jesus saying to his disciples, love each other. He said, this is how they're gonna even know that you belong to me is by your love. So Paul here is kind of praising them for their love for each other. Um, Now, this doesn't mean, you know, that we have this emotional connection to everyone, right? It's not about really feelings. The true biblical love is a sacrificial service to meet each other's needs. Sacrificing what you want, what you think, your time, your money, your whatever, for the sake of someone else. That's what Jesus modeled for us. That's what he was modeling for the disciples as he knelt down and washed their feet. It's the kind of love that he showed everywhere he went as he, you know, served people. He came to serve, not to be served. He, he healed and he, he fed people. It's the same kind of love that he showed us as he hung on the cross for us. It's a sacrificial kind of love for people. 
God doesn't expect us all to have that sentimental like feeling for everyone, but he does expect us to serve each other. We're, we're saved by faith, but we're saved to love each other. Our hearts should be transformed. We should love people. Now, if we're true believers in the true gospel and we have this real love for each other, don't you think that should affect the way we treat people? Don't you think it should show on the outside somehow, not just the people we like, not just the people we have a lot in common with or we hang out with, but all people. We should have a, a Christ-centered love for each other. And if we have the, the Holy Spirit of God living in us, which we believe, you know, when you commit your life to Christ, you, you have God's spirit, the Holy Spirit is now in you. You have an unending supply of love for other people. See, we get this, this kind of backwards. So this is kind of back to the, the faith without works thing. We, we think in terms of living a Christian life, we tend to make it all about our behavior, right? Like the do this, don't do that kind of thing. It's kind of an outside in kind of faith, like a, a works-based faith. What we're talking about here is a change on the inside that kind of spreads to the, the outside. So when we're talking about sin in our life, it's not just about right, what's right and what's wrong. I want to do the right things. I want to not do the wrong things. Um, Andy Stanley, in a sermon I heard recently, he said, that's way too low of a bar for us as believers. Not just right or wrong. That's easy. He says a better question to ask is what does love require? I mean, think about that. No matter what sin you're talking about, there, there's hardly a sin you can think of that doesn't hurt someone else. At the very least, you know, if we say we love God, it, it hurts him, right? And so a better question is what does love require? You know, I, I, I don't want to sin, not because the Bible says don't sin, but I don't want to sin because I love people and this will hurt people. Or I love God and this will hurt God. Jesus, at the very end, he boiled all of the, not just the Ten Commandments, but the hundreds of other rules and laws and regulations. He boiled them down to two, love God, love each other. And not just love each other, but love each other the way that Jesus loved us, that sacrificial, lay yourself down kind of love. And what happens when we do that, the works come out of that, right? It's, it's like that inside out kind of faith. It starts to change your behavior. That's where our good works are, are born, out of, out of that love in us. So we have to have a real personal faith in Jesus. And then it's all about the love, right? A sacrificial Jesus kind of love. And then the third one he mentions is hope. Hope, back to verse four. We've heard of your faith in Christ and your love for all God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. So it's all rooted in our, our hope, faith and hope are linked together. They can't be separated. We, we believe and so we hope. What are we hoping in? Well, we know where we're going. We know how the story ends. We know that God wins in the end. We know what's promised us in the future. A place reserved for us. First Peter chapter one, verse four, he says, we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure, undefiled, 
beyond the reach of change and decay. So as true believers in the true gospel, we have this, this hope in something else, right? It's not just about the here and now. We don't live for now. We live for later. We live for eternity. Like we talked about last week, God establishes our, our hope because we're adopted into his family. We, we are his sons and his daughters. We're brothers and sisters of Jesus. So it's not just about now and what we want now and living for now. It's about eternity. We're living for, for the kingdom. That's this true life change that we have when we follow Jesus. It should result in us living for the kingdom, not for ourselves, not for now. We, we should be willing to sacrifice the now for the later. This runs completely contrary to our kind of American, I want it now culture. I want what I want, I want it now. But as believers, as true believers in the true gospel, we, we don't live culture up, we live kingdom down. We're transferred into his kingdom. We live for his kingdom because he's our king. If you have kids, you know this is not a natural thing. Kid, a kid wants something, they want it now. They have no concept of wait. They want it now. And unfortunately, I think a lot of us never outgrow that. We want what we want. We want it now. We want to buy now, pay later. See, the kingdom way of living, because of our hope and what's promised us, it's different. It's, it's contrasted to that. It's, it's pay now for what I'm promised later. Living for the kingdom, living for eternity. And what makes a Christian willing to do that is that hope and what God has promised us, that there's something better than now. There's something more lasting. There's something more eternal. There's something more fulfilling than just, just having everything I want right here and now. Paul in Romans 18 says it this way. What we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. We live for eternity. Live for the kingdom. Once again, this, this hope we have in what's coming changes our behavior. It changes our priorities. It changes the things that keep us up at night. So faith, a true faith in Jesus, a love that makes us want to serve people and hope, hope in what's promised us in eternity, in the kingdom of God. All these things add up to, to evidence that you're walking with Jesus. So then Paul kind of pivots just a little bit and he starts to pray for them. He's given them, remember, a little bit of a, a look, a snapshot. Here's what living for Jesus looks like in verse nine. He says, we haven't stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. This, this seems like it might be important for us as a Christian, as a true follower. Are you seeking knowledge of his will? Do you want to know what God's will for your life? Are you trying to, to live for him? Are you seeking spiritual wisdom and understanding? God, show me who you are. Show me more of what you're like, how you think. And it's kind of an if then. He says, then, if you're, if you're doing this, these things, then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord. It kind of seems like the way we live matters. If we're seeking his will, if we're seeking to understand, to follow Jesus, then the way we live will honor and please the Lord. And then here's the kicker. Your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. 
your lives will produce fruit. It doesn't say if you're following Jesus, your life might produce fruit. It says it will produce fruit. The gospel, the true good news that we talked about produces fruit, period. Like he, we read just a minute ago, he said the gospel is going out through all the world producing fruit, changing lives just as it changed their life. The gospel produces fruit. The truth changes your life. It's an, another evidence that God is working in your life, that you truly belong to the true faith. If you don't have fruit as a believer, there's nothing in your life that points back to Jesus. You have a problem. Something is wrong. Think of it this way, if you, if you planted a, an apple tree and you're like, hey, Brandon, come look at my apple tree. And it could be in the middle of a huge apple tree orchard, right? And you walk me up to this tree and I'm like, wow, how, how are the apples? And you're like, what apples? And I'm like, well, it's an apple tree, right? How are, well, there's, there's not apples. There's never been any apples, but it's an apple tree. Like we're in the middle of an apple orchard, right? If there's no apples, it's not an apple tree. You, you, you have a tree. It might be the, the tallest, most beautiful tree out there, but without the fruit, what, what good is it? Without the fruit of God working in our lives, the evidence, are you really where you need to be? Or have you fallen for a counterfeit kind of faith? We should be learning. We should be growing in our relationship with God if we're true believers. He goes on in verse 10. All the while you'll grow as you learn to know God better and better. I love, 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 love this verse. All the while, long period of time, you grow as you learn to know God better and better. There's so much to know of God. You know, however much you've, you know of him, however many, however many sermons that you've heard, you've grown up reading, whatever, you've grown up in church, you haven't even scratched the surface. There's so much of God to know as we, we learn to know God better and better and better. If you're a Christian, there's going to be growth. It's a, it's a process. It's not like when you give your life to Jesus, like all of your problems are solved, all your bad habits are gone, you're doing all the right kinds of things. It's, it's a process, it's a maturing process that we should all kind of be in. The, the church word for this process is sanctification. It's like when we have this relationship with God, not just a church attendance kind of thing, a relationship with God day by day by day, he starts to kind of weed out things in us that don't honor him like we just read and he deposits the things of him, those fruit that our lives start to, to kind of display. You've heard of the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, all of those things. He starts like adding to us and we grow and we mature. Faith, it's like a muscle, like any other muscle. Your faith muscle isn't gonna grow unless you grow it on purpose. Your faith muscle isn't gonna grow by attending church once a week. It's just not, you, you might know more, but your faith muscle only grows when it's put into practice. When, when your faith, let's say God's leading you in a direction and you're not sure, and maybe it's not even God, I don't know, but he, I feel like he's leading me in this direction. You take that kind of shaky step. When you take a step of faith, that's being obedient, right? 
On the backside of that obedience, your faith kind of meets God's faithfulness because that's who God is. He's faithful, incapable of letting us down. Your faith intersects with God's faithfulness and your, your faith muscle grows just a little bit. And on and on and on throughout your life. Back to Bert. He finally sat in that chair. And what happened? I mean, he destroyed it. No, I'm kidding. It, it held him up. It held him up. It, and he was sitting there. He wasn't comfortable. <laughs> he looked nervous. He didn't want to move around too much. But it held him up. And his faith in that chair grew just a little bit. That's how our faith works in our relationship with God. You put it into practice. You take a step of faith, obedience, and your faith grows. And you may be like, dude, why... Who, who cares? Like, why does my faith need to grow? Like, I'm, I'm good. I'm a Christian. So let me do my thing. Why does your faith need to grow? I think Paul gives us a little hint here in verse 11. He says, we also pray that you be strengthened with all his glorious power so you have all the endurance and the patience you need. Our faith needs to grow because there's going to come a point in your life when you need it. And if your faith is weak and fragile and frail and you get hit by a wave out of nowhere, it's not going to be there for you. Your faith is going to be shaken. Paul's saying here, we, we need endurance. There's going to be a time in your life when you need that faith. And then when everything comes against you, you you're, it's like the house that's built on a firm foundation. You can withstand it. That's the kind of faith you need. That's the kind of faith that your kids need to see in you, that they need to develop on their own. It's no wonder we have this weak faith and we go into the uh, public college or, you know, we start getting attacked, people attacking the Bible or whatever, and the kids' faith just completely falls apart because they haven't seen it modeled. They haven't learned it to grow their faith in God, that it's not just a fairy tale. And Paul finishes, may you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness, trans transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom, forgave our sins. We're transferred into a different kingdom. You know, I, I don't mean this to sound harsh, but if you're a Christ follower, if you're a, a Christian, a true believer in the true gospel, your life should look markedly different than someone who isn't. And if it doesn't, there's a problem. You know, and it can be frustrating to try to talk believers into actually following Jesus. I mean, there's so many believers out there that don't see a need for God. They, they want to put them on the shelf and, you know, I'll come to you when things fall apart, when my life goes off the rails, like he's some kind of genie in a bottle or some kind of get out of jail free card, right? Our ticket to heaven. That's not what Jesus died for. 
That's not the kind of faith that he died to give us. He died so we could have life, life more abundantly here on earth, a life with him for eternity and his kingdom, a fulfilling, meaningful life here on earth, eternal life with him and the perfection of heaven. I can't, I can't answer the, the heaven or hell question for you. That's between you and God. I'm just like, as Paul's trying to say, what does the fruit in your life tell you? And if you are a, a true disciple, a true follower of Jesus, are you growing in your faith? If you don't have a relationship with him or if you're not sure, man, start one today. Start one today, that's what you were born for. Put your faith in Jesus. He, he took your sin upon himself. He died. He paid that penalty, the fine, the, the sin that separates us from God. He, he died to remove it. And then he rose from the dead. He conquered death and sin. And now we have an opportunity to put our faith, right? Our pistis, our, our obedient kind of faith that put our, put our trust in Jesus for the, the forgiveness of our sins. You can learn to, to walk in love as we experience God's love. Our love for other people is just a reflection of his love in us. And then we have that confident hope that we're not living for now. It's so much more than just the here and now. We're living for the kingdom. We're living for eternity. You can start a relationship with God that will change your life. Make that decision today. What are you waiting for? The big idea for all of us today is the true gospel produces real fruit. The salad bar gospel, the counterfeit Christianity, that doesn't produce a lot of fruit. You look like everyone else. The true gospel, true belief and the life change that happens as we commit our life to Christ and he does the work in us, it's going to produce fruit. So my question for you, Christian, are you growing? This is a very unspiritual way to look at it, but think about it in kind of a, a graph, right? When you look at your faith, your relationship with God, what does it look like? Is it, is it kind of wavering, descending? Is it, is it flatlined? Or are you little by little, slowly growing in your relationship with God, slowly growing that faith muscle as you learn to know God better and better? Are you growing? If not, why not? <laughs> what needs to change? We grow through obedience. So is there something in your life that he's been asking you to do, leading you to do, and you've been hesitant, you've refused, you, you've kind of gotten stuck? Is there something in your life that he's asked you to give up as you're going through this process, you know, the sanctification process we talked about? Is he trying to remove something from you, but you've held on to it? And you're stuck. We're going to sing in just a second, but as, as we do, I want to encourage you, don't, don't end the conversation. <laughs> like, let God continue. What, just ask him, you know, what are you trying to, what, what in this that I've heard, what is, is in it uh, that you're trying to tell me? Like, what's, what's there for me? What's something I need to, to do, right? Obedience. What's, an, what's a step of obedience I can take to grow my relationship with you? maybe to get back on track, or maybe to start a relationship with Jesus. I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna pray the, the prayer that Paul prayed over the Colossians. I'm gonna pray it over all of us. 
as we go throughout the rest of this week, just hopefully with a, a, a new priority of just, I wanna grow my faith. I wanna grow in my knowledge and understanding and wisdom of scripture. I wanna know what God thinks and how he thinks. I wanna think like him. I wanna be used by him. I wanna live for something more than the here and now. Would you pray with me? God, we ask you to give us complete knowledge of your will, spiritual wisdom, understanding. Let the way we live always honor and please you, God. Let our lives produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, I pray we grow as we learn to know you better and better. We also pray we'd be strengthened with your power so we have the endurance and the patience we need. Let us be filled with joy, always thanking you, God, for you have enabled us to share in the inheritance that belongs to your people who live in the light. You've rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of your son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. We thank you, Lord, in your name. Amen.